And again, thank you so much, Miss Amy. Thank you. Blondie, did you notice my wife's curly blonde hair? Remember at the beginning of the year when she didn't have any hair at all? Yeah. Amen. And uh, now she, she said to me a couple mornings ago, Miss Vicki, she walked in and she said, and of course she, now it does what it wants. And she said, and her hair was everywhere. It looked like firecrackers blew up in the curlers. Amen. And it said, she said, my hair is especially special today. <laughs> well, thank you, Miss Carrie, Robin. Thank you, Brother Mike and Eric. And thank you, Miss Heidi, for your ministry to us today. Love to hear the instruments play. In praise to our Lord. You know, every God-called pastor has hopes and dreams in the ministry. I remember, it seems like yesterday, that God put his hand on me to be a preacher. I like what Vance Havner said. He said, I am not a, a prophet by parentage, but a prophet by providence. Amen. And uh, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. Uh, I didn't grow up going to church like my kids have. But I remember specifically trusting Jesus Christ as my Savior in February of 1995. And it's hard for me to imagine that it'll be almost 30 years this coming February. It's, you folks know, it just it, it happens like that. But then in November of 1996, my wife and I had gotten married in June. And uh, so I was a new husband and my wife was uh, going to school in Boston at the time. It was about an hour and a half from where we lived. And uh, she was going at night. We, we both worked during the day. And I was, I was in our, our one-room apartment. One room. You know, as, as the old southern preacher said, it wasn't big enough to cuss a cat without getting hair in your mouth. Amen? And uh, that's what I was saying. I remember that first Christmas tree we got. We couldn't even open the door without knocking ornaments off the tree every time we did. And I was in that one. It had a, it had a loft bedroom and a spiral staircase. We invited our pastor over one time for dinner, and we told him, please, pastor, just you and your wife. And they, they pulled up in their van, and all of a sudden we heard the pitter-patter of little feet and got very nervous, Brother Hutchins, because there was no room for those barely room for the four of us, let alone for four, and they all sat on the spiral stairs and ate their dinner, amen? But I was up top, and I was folding laundry. That was back when I used to polish my Husband of the Year award, amen? Uh, folding laundry. Yeah, we've been married six months. Come on, fellas, amen? And uh, yeah, that's changed a little bit since then. But I was folding laundry, and I was listening to a cassette tape. A cassette tape. Young people are like, no, it wasn't an 8-track, Brother Lawley, amen. It was a cassette tape, amen. And it was of a preacher that I had never heard before. And he had preached this message four years earlier at the National Sword of the Lord Conference. And his name was Dr. Tom Malone. And he preached a message called Fill thine horn with oil and go. It's right out of 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 1. And he, he preached on, on how uh, God anointed David to be king. And he, and he preached about the anointing. And he preached about God's blessing. And God began to deal with me. Yeah. He'd 
already been dealing with me. I was helping in church, helping in, in Awanas and teaching Sunday school, but he began uh, to, to deal with me, and he just confirmed. And Dr. Malone told the story of winning a man to Christ in his neighborhood, and the man asked him if he would come back, and uh, he said, I want to tell you why. For 35 years, I've not been saved. And he said, I had a father who was called to preach. He said, and I love my father. Absolutely love him. He's a good man. But he was called to preach and he refused the call. And I watched my father live a defeated, miserable life. And Dr. Miller began to tell that story. And you folks know, the Holy Ghost doesn't speak out loud. He hasn't spoke out loud since he spoke to John on the Isle of Patmos, saying all God's people said. But you know what it is to get the prompting of the Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit say, that'll be you if you don't surrender. And I remember November 26, 1996, like it was yesterday. And it was just me and the Holy Ghost in that room. And I bowed down at our bedside and I got down on my knees and I said, okay, Lord. I'll be a preacher if you want me to. Because I didn't want to. I've shared this before, and I know nobody believes me, but if I was in a church in my state back then, I would probably be in the sound booth. I would probably be maybe one of the ERT guys. Just did not like being here. Liked much better being there. Out of sight. But I remember when God called me. It's hard to believe. And then... That was in the winter of 1996. In the fall of 1997, Carrie and I left all that we knew there in Holyoke, Massachusetts, our wonderful home church, Mountain View Baptist Church, and we left all that we knew, and we packed up a U-Haul, and we came to Pontiac, Michigan, to Midwestern Baptist College to train for the ministry. And we spent four of the most blessed years of our lives at Midwestern Baptist College and we're around so many wonderful men of, God, men of God and ladies of God and just part of a great church there. And I remember in 1999 at a chapel service, <clears throat> I remember we had, I believe, 13 young people surrender to the mission field. By the way, we just had the deans then, our missionaries, the deans. Uh, one of those people that surrendered that day was Mrs. Dean to the mission field, still on the field. But I remember, I believed at the time that God was making it very, very clear that I wasn't supposed to go to the mission field. I was going to pastor a church. And uh, again, I didn't know why everybody, I felt like a leper in that chapel service because everybody was going forward and I didn't. Because everybody was going to, you know, surrender to the mission field. But God was making it clear that I was supposed to be a pastor. Well, I graduated at 29 years old and went back to our home church and was there for, ended up being there for five years. And during that time, I had two opportunities to candidate at churches. One was not far from here. It used to be a Baptist church. It is not anymore. When I candidated at it, it was a Baptist church. And by the way, uh, sidebar, I told the chairman of the deacons, if you don't get a man like me in here, you'll have a rock band on your platform before you know it. And they have 
exactly that. But little did I know when I candidated at that church, and it wasn't a fit, and by the way, I, I would have been bad for them, and they would have been bad for me. Little did I know that later that year, our pastor's son would be killed in an auto wreck, and my pastor would need me in a second-man capacity like he never had needed me before. By the way, God knows these things. Then my pastor resigned from our home church, and I candidated at our home church. Again, this is the church I was saved in. This is the church that Carrie and I were married in. This is the church that we were both baptized in. This is the church that I had served in now for four and a half years. And we candidated there and didn't, didn't get the vote. And if I, could, if I would tell you that I was not discouraged a little bit, I would be lying. But I was not disheartened because... God knows what he's doing. And little did I know I would go for three years and work for Pastor Marty Schott in New Hartford, Connecticut, one of the dearest men of God. Those of you that haven't met Pastor Schott, you're, trust me, when you meet him, you never forget him. He's such a blessing. I worked for him for three years, and then in the <clears throat> summer of 2009, some of you remember that time here at the church. It was a difficult time. I got a call from Dave Carr. Hi. Pastor Dave Carr, my friend. Just had his, just just lost his daughter. And by the way, he's going to be preaching our missions conference for us next year. Lord willing, we're going to be a blessing to him financially. Going to just just encourage him and his precious wife. Dave Carr called me and he said, Brother Rich, are you still interested in pastoring? And I said, yes, sir, I always have been. I'm just waiting for God's leading and God's opportunity. He said, well, there's a, a church in Jackson, Michigan, who their pastor just resigned, and the pulpit committee contacted me and wondered if I knew anybody. And I said, well, preacher, pray about it. If the Lord leads you to give him my name, then give it to him. And it wasn't long after that Tom Sammons called me, chairman of the pulpit committee. And they sent me a questionnaire, 35-page questionnaire. I'm still recovering, Brother Steve, amen? Just, I think I'm going to be okay, amen? No, I just started filling it out. My wife, my wife was away. She was visiting family in Arizona. And Brother Shannon, I just started filling it out, typing it and typing, answering these questions. And I kept going. And I kept going, and it was 11 o'clock at night, and then it was 12 o'clock at night, and then it was 1 o'clock at night. I said, well, I think I'll just keep going. And then it was 2 o'clock at night, and then it was 3 o'clock at night, and then it was 4 o'clock at night. Mind you, I had a secular job at 7 o'clock in the morning. And sure enough, I finished that thing at about 6.50 a.m., and I hope I didn't inspect any parts that day that went in the air because I can't guarantee the, the veracity of them, amen. I was an aircraft parts inspector. And I think my, my eyes were crossed that day. But I got it in and then the members of the pulpit committee began to call me and I talked with each of them. Precious, precious men. Brother Merrill was on that committee. So you can blame him. Amen. Actually, yeah. Mr. Mayor, please don't interrupt my sermon. Thank you very much. Amen. <laughs> yeah, amen. No, and then we came that September. Some of you remember that, that last Sunday of September in 2009. 
we came that weekend and house hunted on Saturday and met deacons and staff and all that and preached on Sunday and the church voted us in that Sunday night. But you remember, Carrie was out to here with Luke. And uh, we went back home. She had Luke and we got packed up and came here in November. And I remember when, when she was uh, expecting Luke, I remember when we got into the hospital that day and I had a pad of paper and I was just writing things down, just thinking about the hopes and dreams that I would have for this church and myself together. I think about, begin to dream about what God could do and reaching people and having special services and missions conferences and missions giving and supporting missionaries and and so much more folks you know retreats with men and, and ladies and just fellowship one with another and strengthening one another and boy just uh, think about the hopes and dreams if you look at verse number 11 and, and I'm just going to kind of zone in on the pastor here. We have the, the previous offices are listed here, and that is apostles and prophets. There are no more apostles. Uh, they, they're done. Paul was the last apostle. And prophets, of course, John was the last prophet. If, if someone says to you, i got a prophecy to share with you, and they don't open this book, I'd beware. Amen? But then he, he moves into the other offices that are there, and I believe there are two here. I believe that there are evangelists, and praise God for God-called evangelists that, that, that preach the word, reach people, stir up churches for reaching people. But then it says, and some pastors and teachers, and, and many think that this is the same office, the pastor and teacher. And so, uh, you know, I've already mentioned, just by way of introduction, the call of a pastor. And the Bible says in... 1 Timothy 3.1, if any man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth the good work. And I, I believe, personally, I, I believe that you can't just volunteer to be a pastor. I, I believe that God has to call you. And again, I, I don't, I, I've, I've had people before say, tell me about your call to preach, and I, I tell them the story that I just explained to you. But it, it's kind of like, fellas, I, if I could put it this way, it's kind of like when you, when you knew your wife was the one. You say, how'd you know? You just know. And again, I can tell you this, especially early on wrestling with the call to preach, I would have rather done just about anything else. And that the longer I've pastored, sometimes I've said, Lord, I would rather be doing something. As a matter of fact, when I was in the aerospace industry, Pastor Schott would call me late on a Wednesday afternoon. He'd call me at 3 o'clock, and he'd been at the hospital all day or been dealing with a difficult marriage counsel. And he'd say to me, he'd say, Preacher, would you be willing to preach tonight? And I never turned him down. I always said, oh, yeah. I was always working on a sermon during break or something like that because I didn't have to preach all the time. Amen? But I was so stirred about preaching. And he said to me, I'll never forget one time, he said, you know, there are days when I wish I could just inspect aircraft parts. And I thought back then, Brother Dwayne, I thought, he's crazy. But after pastoring a few years, I still would not rather be doing that, but I know what he means. There are times when aircraft parts don't break your heart. People break your heart. Amen? 
And so I think about the call of a pastor. Now, this, this second part is a little bit difficult, and I'll, so I'll not tarry long, but it is important to preach the whole counsel of God. Not only do we see the call of the pastor, but we see the gift of the pastor. <clears throat> the gift of the pastor. It says there, <clears throat> it says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors. Who is the he there? I tell you this, it's Jesus Christ. It's God Almighty. Now, I've met some pastors who thought they were God's gift to the church. And that's a shame. But in truth, biblically speaking, a God-called pastor is a gift to a congregation from God. God is the one who gives. Again, I mentioned that, that church that's kind of gone a different direction. I'm glad God didn't give me to them. I'm glad God gave me to Loomis Park Baptist Church. And I'm glad God gave Loomis Park Baptist Church to me. Pastor Alex said, thank you for sticking it out for 14 years. And I know what you meant, Pastor. But I can tell you this, it hasn't been, there's been no need to stick it out. It has been the privilege of my life to be your pastor for these 14 years. There's a couple off spots. That's any church. You know, again, I say this often. We only have two problems here at Loomis Park Baptist Church. Men and women. Other than that, we're good. Every church with people has problems. So there's the call of the pastor. There's the gift of the pastor. And then in verse 11 and 12, really, verse 12, there's the work of the pastor. What is, what is the pastor? What is his work? It, it tells us there, he gave some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. What is that? This is a term, it's, it's interesting, it's, it's also used in Matthew chapter 4 verse 21, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 10, Galatians 6 1, Hebrews 11 <clears throat> verse 3. It's interesting, this term for perfecting. It's a term that was used for the setting of bones which had become dislocated. It means to set in order, or to reset, or to mend. That's part of the pastor's job. You know what a pastor does? A pastor many times reminds you of what you already know in a different way. And gets you to mending some things and setting some things in order in your life. So not only is it the work of the pastor is perfecting, but the, the work of the pastor is also ministering. Look what it says there. It says in verse 12, it says, For the perfecting of the saints for the work of the what? You know what that word is? Deaconon. You know that word. Deacon on. So where do we get our word deacon from? Servant. Table waiter. Let me just tell you this. The work of the ministry is serving. I thank God for our staff, and I thank God the hard workers that they are. I mean it. There's so much that gets done around here during the week that they do. But I wouldn't give you a plug nickel for, for a staff member that wouldn't roll the table or fold the chair. I'm give you a plug nickel. Why? Because part of the pastor's job is to encourage ministering or serving. By the way, the ministry is serving people. 
It's not just painting walls, and it's not just, forgive me, walking rounds, and it's not just singing. It's ministering to people. So there's the work of the pastor is for perfecting. The work of the pastor is for ministering. And I love this. The work of the pastor, if you look there in verse 12, it says, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the what? Edifying of the body of Christ. You know what that means? It is my job to help build you up. Listen, there are times where a pastor has to, forgive me, let you have it. And all God's people said, come on now, amen. Got a little quiet on that one, except for Mr. Merrill. Forgive me if I if I if I may. Some pastors let you have it all the time. You can finally say, you know what, I got it. I got enough of it. I understand. You have to tear down sometimes to build up. But my job as a pastor is to build you up. That's not to pat you on the back and pretend everything's all right. Sometimes it's to put truth right on the line for you so you can make a decision and make adjustments. But there are times where it's just to say, you know what? Let's look at the Bible and let's look at the end of the book and we'll just remind you it's going to be okay in the end. God's still on the throne. Amen. What a blessing it is to be a God-called pastor. It blows me away. It blows me away. Sometimes, as men of God get older in the ministry, they stop dreaming and they can become cynical. Life and ministry can beat them down. I hope I never get to that place. I, I, I want to, uh, Curtis Hudson said this years ago, so I want to die climbing. I want to die with hopes and dreams that I never got to realize. You know, I think about just hopes and dreams. And so I want to preach to you today and the time that we have left here on the hopes and dreams of a pastor. Your pastor's hopes and dreams for this church. And I'm just going to really be in Ephesians chapter 4. I could could have done more, but I thought if I said I was going to preach a 25-point message, you'd get scared. Amen. <laughs> so I'm only going to preach a 14-point message, but it has no sub-points. So there, amen. Well, maybe it has a few sub-points. It'll be honest in the pulpit. Look at verses 1 and 2. You know, hope and a dream I have for Loomis Park Baptist Church for you as a church body is that we would be a Christ-like church. It says there in verse 1, by the way, chapter 4, verse 1 is the transition of Ephesians. He has given, he has given doctrine and beliefs in chapters 1, 2, and 3. He's going to give duty and behavior in chapters 4, 5, and 6. It's, it's the hinge of Ephesians, verse 1 of chapter 4. It says, I therefore, and the therefore points back to the previous verses, the prisoner of the Lord beseech or beg you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. 
You know, they were first called Christians at Antioch. Acts chapter 11, verse 26 calls us Christian. That's a great name. It's a great thing. By the way, it was an insult in Acts. They insulted them. They said, oh, they're like a bunch of little Christs. You know what I want for Lumis Park Baptist Church? I want us to be known as a Christ-like church. You see that in verse 2. You see the, the, the characteristics of Christ. What are they? Lowliness. That's the opposite of pride. Only by pride cometh contention. So many churches are filled with so many pride-filled people that they can't help but be trouble and strife all the time. But with loneliness, no problem. No problem. Meekness. Jesus said of himself, he said, I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest for your souls. Long-suffering. Oh, you know what that is? Patience. One of the things I love about Thanksgiving is it reminds me of the value of patience. Because on Wednesday, my house will start smelling like turkey. And Brother Merklinger, I can't have it till Thursday. But I've never had a good microwave turkey. The house never smelled good. All it smelled like was burnt plastic. <laughs> long-suffering. A church ought to be long-suffering with each other. With new people that come in that... Maybe still use a curse word or two. I'd be patient with them. And then I love this next line. It says, forbearing one another in love. That's as Christ-like as it gets. You know what it means? It means to put up with. There are times where because I love a brother, I do have to say something. And then there are times where because I love a brother, I can just forbear. I can just put up with him because I love him. Huh? He'll be alright. I'll be fine. You can pass over a transgression as it says in Proverbs. Well, I hope, I dream that we'll be a Christ-like church. I think we are. It's still a, a, a wonderful hope and dream to have for a church. Number one, that we'd be a Christ-like church. Number two, look at verse number three. It says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of what? Not only I hope and dream that we're a Christ-like church, I hope and dream that we're a peaceful church. That people who are under the burden of the world could come into this place and find peace. Find a peaceful people. By the way, it goes back to verse 2, doesn't it? If you have, in a church, if you have long-suffering and meekness, and forbearing one another in love, huh? you'll have a peaceful church. You'll have a peaceful congregation. You don't have to have people that always have to have their way. Uh, beware of somebody that always has to stand up and have their way. I hope we'll have a peaceful church. When I say peaceful, I'm not just talking about peace for peace's sake. Somebody said the communists used to say they wanted peace. They want a piece of this and a piece of that and a piece of this. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm just I'm not talking about peace for peace sake. I'm talking about peace because we are a Christ-like church. So peace will flow from that. Not only a Christ-like church and a 
And by the way, if you look there in verse 3, it says endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. I can tell you this, if you're going to have a peaceful church, it takes work. Endeavoring, that's a verb. you got to work at it. you got to work at not being offended. Huh? you got to work at not being puffed up with pride. you got to work at developing those characteristics that are lowliness and meekness and long-suffering and forbearance. you got to work at that. It's all work. How about verses 4 through 6? One body, one spirit, even as ye are called into one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. What is that, Pastor? I hope we have a doctrinally correct church. Where it's this book that matters. Not what I think and not what you think and not what Reverend Hosnose thinks either. Amen? doctrinally correct church that we look and we study this Bible and we teach this Bible as God would have us to. One of the things we ask of all our prospective members is to review our articles of faith. It's important. This is what we believe. This is what we believe that the Bible teaches. A doctrinally correct church. A peaceful church. A Christ-like church. Look at verse 7. It's an interesting verse. Or verse. Yeah, verse 7. It says, it talks there about, you know, having our doctrine right and how God and the Father of us all is above all and through all and in you all. That's a lot of all in that verse. And it says this, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. What is that, Pastor? Well, hold your place there in Ephesians and go over with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. It's just a few pages to the left. You've got Galatians before Ephesians. You've got 2 Corinthians before Galatians. And then 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. And look with me, if you would, at verse number 14. And we'll read down through a few verses. I think you'll recognize these verses. I dream and hope, hope and dream that Loomis Park Baptist Church will be a Christ-like church, be a peaceful church, <clears throat> be a doctrinally correct church. I dream that she'll be a diverse church, a diverse church. Now we hear that word today thrown around as it shouldn't be, diversity. That's diversity for diversity's sake, and it's diversity of everything but thought. <laughs> Diversity of every perversion that you could have, but not diversity of saying, I'm going to live a moral life. Yeah. But this is true diversity right here in verse number 14 of 1 Corinthians 12. It says, For the body, talking about the human body, is not one member, but what? Many. If the foot shall say, Because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? The answer to that question is no. Still of the body. Verse 16. And if the ear shall say, which is interesting because ears don't generally speak. <laughs> if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? The answer to that question is no. It's a very important part of the body. It's just not the eye. Verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, imagine that, 
just rolling around, getting stuff in your eye, amen, as you roll around. If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? Verse 18, but now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. Now look down at verse 27, for now ye are the body of Christ, this is the local church at Corinth, ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. Pastor, why do you want a diverse church? Because just as God put the ear on the body, and he put the eye on the body, and he put the wrist in the body, and he put the liver in the body, he put puts the church together, everybody with different grace, everybody with different gifts, everybody with different abilities, and that's the way it's supposed to be. I'm thankful for people who can build stuff. I'm thankful for people who can't build stuff but can build people. Amen? I'm, th I'm thankful for people that can do difficult tasks. I tell you, in our church, one of the people I'm most thankful for is Mrs. Boston. You have no idea how hard she works on those quarterly reports. Oh, and she just has the mind for it. She's gifted in that area. Listen, we, we, we don't want, and I've mentioned this before about singing. I was in a church, a good church, not long ago, and uh, they were they had hymnals and they were showing the words on the screen. And Miss Judy, by and large, I go eight out of ten, but maybe nine out of ten were not looking at the notes; they were all looking at the words. And consequently, the whole church was singing melody. Now I'm glad for melodies, wonderful melodies in him. But Pastor Alex, you know what? Harmony is better than melody. You know what harmony is? Harmony is diversity working together, singing the going the same direction, singing the same note in the bass, the baritone, the alto, and the melody, the soprano. See, so what is that? I want us to be a diverse church. Not, 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 again, and forgive me, I would, like, I would like to have some more dark faces in our church. I would love that. But not just for the sake of dark faces. Anybody understand what I mean by that? Diversity is just us exercising the gift within the body. And being different. Seeing things different. I'm thankful for people who, who see things and say, Hey, consider this. Watch out for this. Uh, great. I never thought of that. That is a diverse church. Diverse church. So... A Christ-like church, a peaceful church, a doctrinally correct church, a diverse church. Verse 12. Look at it there with me. In Ephesians, I, we were in 1 uh, uh, Corinthians. Go back to Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 12. It says, For the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry. You know, the work of the ministry is not to be done by just the pastor or the staff. He is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. So you know what I'd like Lumis Park Baptist Church to be? I'd like us to be a working church. A working church. Not only work days, though, I would definitely love more people to show up for work days. Let me try that again. I would definitely love more people to show up for work days. 
Hoping to see some of you next Sunday afternoon and all God's people said. Yeah, all four of you on that one, amen. I'm, I'm not, probably not going to win that one, okay. I need my Sunday nap, preacher. Okay, all right, I love you. But the ministry is serving, yes, but the ministry is serving people, and there's a whole lot more people outside of these walls than in these walls. A working church. What are we working at? I tell you what, we should be working at, we should be working at reaching people. And all God's people said. Amen. Thank God for our free Bibles outreach. I said to Luke last night, uh, Mr. Mike, uh, Luke, Luke said he did it uh, yesterday, and I said, it was pretty easy, wasn't it, buddy? It's the first time he did it. He said, it was. It was. He said, I gave away three Bibles. I'm like, good for you. You can do it. If you want to. If you make time. It's the work of the ministry. It's definitely reaching, but it's certainly teaching. By the way, it's not just the pastor that teaches. Every one of us, I think about fellowship that we have, there's, there's all kinds of discipleship that goes on that isn't necessarily opening a big book and having five-volume set of discipleship. There's a lot of discipleship that takes place, forgive me, uh, Ms. Marilyn, over at the Culver's table on Sunday nights, just having fellowship, enjoying one another, talking about the goodness of God, reaching people, teaching people. This is the work of the church, building people, building people. You, know, you ought to look around each Sunday. Notice when people are missing. Look for somebody who looks a little discouraged and build them up. Nothing does my heart better than when guests say, wow, your church is so friendly, and I realize that I never got to that person during greeting time. Huh? That means everybody's friendly. Everybody's building somebody, a working church, a divorced church, a doctrinally correct church, a peaceful church, a Christ-like church. Look at verse 13. Till we all come in the what? unity of the faith, knowledge of the Son of God and the perfect man, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Look back at verse 3. Endeavoring to keep the what? Unity of the Spirit. A unified church. A unified church. This is, the, this is the theme of Ephesians chapter 4. Unity. Unity. Not just unity for unity's sake. Unity that's rooted in doctrine. Unity that's rooted in Christ-likeness. Unity that's rooted in separation, which we're going to look at here. But listen, ladies and gentlemen. Get, the devil can do nothing against a unified church. He can't. He can't. It's, it's so much like the doctrine of Balaam that's discussed in Jude and then seen in the Old Testament. If he can get us destroying ourselves, then he never has to do anything. But if we're unified, going back to that point number one, Christ-like, willingness, meekness, long-sufferings, you know what? We're unified for the cause of Christ. God can do such amazing things. I've seen, I've seen it in our missions giving, ladies and gentlemen. I've seen us become so unified in regards to that. Eleven years ago, we were supporting 16 missionaries for $3,200 a month, which was great. And I praise the Lord for it. Today, we support 62 missionaries for about $8,400 a month. And there's only one way that happens. Unity. Unity. 
the unified church. How about if you look at verses 13 through 16, we, we looked at them, but uh, particularly verse 14 says that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may what? Grow up. Grow up. You know what that is? A mature church. A mature church. Getting more, as my pastor would say, it's a mature church. You know what that means? We're growing up as Christians. We're not just growing old, we're growing up. There's a difference. There's a difference. We're becoming more mature, we're loving the Word of God more, we're growing in the Word of God. And, you know, even in verse uh, 16, it talks about what happens there to the church that, that becomes mature, that grows. It says, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by every joint that supplieth according to the effectual working of the measure of every part. We're, we're maturing every part, doing its part, is working together. Make increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. You know what this really talks about? It talks about how the body heals itself. You know, your body has that capacity. Aren't you glad? God put it in. This, when a, when a church gets mature, it heals little wounds inside the church. And I love that last phrase. The increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. A mature church. Look at verse 17. Not only a Christ-like church and a peaceful church and a doctrinally correct church and a diverse church, reaching, teaching, building people, a unified church, a mature church. Verse 17. <clears throat> this I say, therefore, so it's pointing back to that mature church, and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. And it, it talks about these Gentiles, these, these lost ones. They're, they're also described in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. It says that they're, they're alienated from God and the, the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their hearts and their past feeling. And they give themselves over to lasciviousness. So you know what the church is supposed to be? You know what a dream I have for our church is? That we be different. A different church. Different from the world. We make a difference by being different. Too many churches are conforming themselves to the world. Listen, we're going to be different. We're, just, we're not having a rock band up here. We're not doing it. I don't care if everybody does it. We're not having, listen, we're not having a light show. I, I, we're not doing that. We're going to be different. Ladies, if you sing on this platform, we ask you to wear a modest skirt. And I'm not mad about that. I hope you're not either. I, I hope. And we ask, listen, we ask men to dress like men and ladies to dress like ladies. And all God's people said. And people that get upset with that, look around at society. What are you upset at? Now people don't even know if they're men or ladies. So we've got to just kind of head that off at the pass. We've got to be different. Listen, we'd rather use the weapons that God has given to us. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. That we'd be different. We'd be separated, ladies and gentlemen. That we'd just be the kind of church that some places our people just don't go. Some, some movies our, our people just don't watch. We'd be different. 
separated. How about verses 22 through 24? I like this. It says that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. This talks about the flesh and the spirit. When, when Before you were saved, all you had was flesh. All you had was the old nature that just wanted to do whatever it wanted to do and had no check on it at all. But when you got saved, when you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit moved in to take up His permanent residence, and now the Spirit and the flesh are always doing battle. That you have the conversation of the old man, that those, those are Gentiles, that it's talking about the way they live their lives without God in it, or... You can live according to new me. You know what I call this? I call this a spiritual church. A spiritual church. Saying, you know what? I want to be led by the Spirit. I don't want to live in the flesh. And I like what it says here. He said, you've got to put off that garment of the flesh. And it literally is the illustration of a garment. He said, you've got to put off the flesh and you've got to put on the Spirit. Now, it tells you you've got to make a conscious decision. Lord, Holy Spirit, help me to follow you today. A spiritual church. Oh, I hope we're a spiritual church. I hope we're known as that. How about not only a spiritual church, but... If you look at verses 24 through 29, of course, verse 24 we just read, it says in that you put on a new man. You know, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, in verse number 17, it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. And then it tells us in Colossians chapter 3, Verse 1, if he then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. And so what we have in the next few verses here is we have contrasts between the old and the new. And so in this I would say I have a hope and a dream that we'd be a new church. And I don't mean new and modern and all that, but I mean the new nature. See, if you look at the verses, and we won't have time to read them all, but verse 25, the old nature is lying. The new nature is speak truth. I would have us be a new church and speak truth. Verse 26 talks about anger. Verse 27, neither give place to the devil. Hey, let's be a new church. Let's, let's not give the devil a foothold here. Huh? Verse 28, let him that stole... So stealing, thievery, that was the old nature. What's the, what's the new church? Let him labor, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Verse 29, the old nature is that corrupt communication. Well, I remember those days, not so long ago, when I remember being around God's people and being nervous that I was going to say something that was wrong, that was a curse word. But you know what the new nature is? That which is good to the use of edifying. There it is again, building up. Let's be, a, let's be a new church in that. Amen. Let's be a church that follows the new nature, exhibits new things. 
in your church. How about verse 29? Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister what? Unto the ears. You know, I sure hope we would be a gracious church. Why? Because God sure has been gracious to us. He not only saved you, but His abundant grace in your life is what keeps you on the right track. Amen? One day we're going to get to heaven and here's what we're going to say. We're going to say it was grace. It was all grace. For by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Out of works lest any man should boast. God pours out his grace on us. Abundant grace, sufficient grace, amazing grace. You know what we should be? When people aren't so gracious to us, we should be gracious. Be a gracious church. One of the reasons I hope that we are that way is in our adopt-a-cop ministry. That they would say, that's a gracious, gracious church. Always doing something for us. Well, they do a lot for us. Yeah. Verse 30 and 31. A Christ-like church, a peaceful church, a doctrinally correct church, a diverse church, a working church, a unified church. A mature church, a different church, a spiritual church, a new church, a gracious church. It says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. I see here a pleasing church. A pleasing church. What is that? Well, if we're not grieving the Holy Spirit and we're putting away bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking and malice, then we're going to be pleasing the Lord. We're going to be a church that pleases the Lord. It's amazing these sins of the heart and how they follow verse 30. And of course that tells us not to grieve the Holy Spirit. My estimation of that is... He's saying, here's how you can grieve the Holy Spirit. Just hang on to bitterness. Just go ahead and hang on to wrath and clamor. That's that simmering pot that's about to boil over. And anger and evil speaking, that, that, that'll grieve the Spirit of God. Hey, forgive me, that'll sap the power right out of a local church. That'll cut the cable from which the power comes, which is the Holy Spirit. So what's my hope and dream is that we'd be a pleasing church. By the way, this is all personal, isn't it? It's all about you deciding to do these things as a member of this church. And if we all start to decide to please the Lord, oh, how God blesses. Then I have three more all in the same verse. We're right on time. I'll throw them at you. Verse 32. It says, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. One of my favorite verses in the Word of God is verse 32. There's three things that we see from this that our church should be, three different types of church, and it brings us to 15 points. I'll, I'll give them all to you again. A Christ-like church, a peaceful church, a doctrinally correct church, a diverse church, a working church. A unified church, a mature church, a different church, a spiritual church, a new church, a gracious church, a pleasing church, 
13, 14, and 15 right here. We should be a kind church. Be kind one to another. Somebody gives you the cold shoulder, you don't have to give it back. Just be kind. Why don't you think, you know what, we probably had a rough week. Probably having a bad day today. You know, nobody ever has to get offended. Hmm? Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Be a kind church. And then you know what, it says tender-hearted, you know what that is? We should be a loving church. Jesus himself said, a new commandment give I unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you have love one for another. He wasn't talking about us in the world. He was talking to his disciples. He was talking to that called out assembly. I'll tell you this, he's talking to the church. The strength of the assembly is assured not by an influx of new members, but by a deepening affection of those already there. Ivor Powell said that. So true. We should be a loving church. When people come in, and by the way, we've had some new people come. And they've already shared with me what a loving congregation this is. You know what? We make, we make giant get well cards when people are out for a long time. People, people visit one another. People pray one for another. Two people in our families in our church and, and, and going through deep valleys, they know that there are people that are praying for them because they love them. A loving church. And then lastly, probably most important, oh, by the way, I would love to keep this message going into chapter 5 and 6. There's so much there. I think about, you know, the marriage relationship that we, uh, you know, a submissive church, and you can look at a church under the headship of Christ, and uh, chapter 6, of course, you have the armor of God, a warring church, and I mean that, of course, warring against the world, the flesh, and the devil, but I have to end here in verse 32 with the last part of that verse. It says, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. No, we ought to be as a church. We ought to be a forgiving church. We're not real good at that. Are we? We're real good at getting forgiven. <laughs> We're not real good at forgiving others who hurt us, especially within church. We get to getting offended, and then bitterness creeps in, unforgiveness, and there goes the power. No, but listen. Nobody who ever had power with God had a boat of unforgiveness in their heart. No. He just, it, and it tells us why. Forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. That means when you got saved, God forgave you of all your sins because you asked. So you know, all, all He demands of you is just be as forgiving of others as He is of you. For if ye forgive not men their trespasses, Jesus said, neither will your heavenly Father forgive yours. It didn't mean you won't be saved or not be saved. It means you won't have fellowship with God. Because there will be something in between you. Maybe you're here today at this church, listen now, and you don't even know Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior. God loves you. Jesus died for you. He wants to save you. He wants to make you part of the church. The entire church. The entire body of Christ. This is a local church. Thank God for it. But if you're not saved, 
I want to encourage you. He is willing, ready, and able to forgive you of your sins and to give you a home in heaven when you die. If you'll just ask. Church, I want to say thank you for 14 years of love and support. And I hope to be pastoring and going strong until the Lord comes. Amen. And if He does, I hope He will find these 15 characteristics of our church. Amen. I hope that each one of us will strive to make sure, hey, I'm going to make sure, I'm going to make sure that, that I'm walking in newness of life, that I'm, I'm, I'm separating myself from some things in my life. I'm going to make sure that I'm trying to be gracious. I'm going to make sure I'm trying to be Christ-like in my life. Because you know what? God blesses that kind of church. Father, we love you. Thank you.